What's up, everybody? This is Daniel Atondo. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Really proud of you. My name is Daniel. I'm the lead pastor here at Eden Church, and uh, I'm excited about this season of life, but I also want to mention that we really are grateful that you're here this morning, especially those of you who are here for the first time, because what we understand is that it is kind of hard to walk into a place like this, right? Into a community of faith. You really never know what you're going to get. I still feel nervous when I walk into other churches, and I'm a pastor, and so I can't imagine how nervous you must have been walking into this place for the first time. And so we want to applaud your courage for being here. And I want to invite you after service. I'm going to be standing at the back at the Connect Center. I would love to get a chance to meet you, shake your hand, get your name, and then we have a special gift for you. Um, as, as a thank you for being a guest with us this morning. And so I'd like to give that to you if this is your first time here with us. You know, what I love about this church so much and what I'm reminded of every single week is the beauty of what it means to be a part of a community of faith. Because it's probably not a surprise to anyone if, for me to tell you that we are living in somewhat of a divisive time in our culture and in our generation. But what's beauty, beautiful about the church is that if you look all around, you will see people of different cultures and different ethnicities and different backgrounds, and yet we are here on a Sunday morning united by one thing, our pursuit of trying to understand more of what Jesus has for us. And so I love, love getting to be a part of what, what God is doing here in Silicon Valley through Eden Church. But as you know, this morning we are starting a brand new series called Influencers. And I think that there's division in the room right now because there are half of you in the room that know exactly what I'm talking about. When I use the word influencer, some of you follow Kim Kardashian on social media. And when she buys a dress at H&M, you go to H&M to buy the dress. Now, she probably doesn't shop at H&M. And the rest of us are not quite exactly sure what to make of the title influencer. And so for the sake of unity in our church, I'm going to give a very brief, uh, somewhat inadequate definition of what an influencer is. An influencer is someone who puts out content in a particular area of interest that has a large social media following. And they're called influencers because what they do, other people do. When they read books and they post pictures of the books that they read, other people go and buy those books. When they go to cafes in Italy eating avocado toast, other people go to that same location to eat avocado toast in that cafe because what they do influences what other people do. But you have to understand... For those of you who are not familiar with the influencer language, as I'm quickly learning, is that there are different levels of influencers. You have what they call nano-influencers. That's right. They have a term for it. And these are the losers of all the influencers because they only have one to 10,000 followers. All right? They're, these were all the unpopular kids in high school. They only have 10,000 people following them. I'm just kidding. I, I am like a sub-nano-influencer. <laughs> I've got less than 500 people following me, and I don't ever post anything. But then you have micro-influencers. They have 10 to 50,000 followers. You have macro-influencers, which have 500 to 1 million followers. And then you have mega-influencers, which have 1 to 5 million people following them on their Instagram page. And, and, and then you have one level above this that I didn't mention here, but they're called celebrity-influencers. And that means they have over 5 million people that pay attention to how they're, what they're doing all throughout their life. And the single greatest Instagram account in the world 
has 156 million followers. And that's from, that's by Cristiano Ronaldo. He's a soccer player. He has 156 million followers. And so this is what we understand. Like if Cristiano Ronaldo posted a picture of a book that he read, the author of that book can anticipate that there's going to be about 100 million people trying to buy that book. And so what people have realized, the value of these influencers, is that they have the ability to shape what culture values. What they say they like, other people all of a sudden like the same thing too. And so they're shaping what is valuable in our culture. And some of you have maybe seen the Fire Festival documentary on Netflix, if you've seen that. Um, it's an interesting documentary. It is, ta- is tagged as the best party that never happened, or the greatest festival that never happened. And this was a group of organizers that were hosting what they called a luxury uh, concert experience in the Bahamas. And they said one of the things that is almost impossible is to sell out a concert, especially if this is the first time that you've ever hosted a concert. And these guys sold out the concert within just a few days of announcing that it was hosting. And the way that they did it was they asked social media influencers to post about the concert, and thousands of people purchased expensive tickets across the world to be a part of this concert just because of these social influencers. And so what marketers and advertisers are getting to realize is that influencers are shaping culture maybe more than anything else in our world. And it's interesting because when you look at Scripture, you will notice that in the Old Testament specifically, God had a similar strategy, that he used people of faith to influence the culture to make a difference in the world. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. We're going to be looking at some of the greatest influencers in human history and how these people leverage their faith to make a difference in their world. And what I love about each and every one of these people is that they were all normal people who God used to do extraordinary things. And if you were to look at their life, the whole of their life, the very same thing that they were admired for, their faith, you could also look at other areas where they were looked down on because of their lack of faith. And so we're going to talk about these people. And what I hope will happen over the next few weeks is that all of us will come to a greater understanding of what faith is all about in Scripture and how we can use it to leverage And make an impact in our own community. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, it's in the New Testament. The New Testament is the second half of the Bible. It's the part of the Bible that talks about the life of Jesus and the development of the early community of faith known as the church. And so a lot of times, sort of the layout of the New Testament, we see that you have these many biographies of Jesus' life that talk about all of his ministry. They're called the Gospels. And then the rest of the New Testament are these letters that were written to new believers, new churches, new communities of faith to help them grow and develop in their faith. And so this particular letter was written to a group of people who grew up in the tradition of the Hebrew people. And so that meant that they had a knowledge, a vast knowledge of the first five books of the Bible, which were called the Torah. It was viewed as the law. And so these people were familiar with this old tradition that they had grown up into, but at the same time, they had embraced the teachings of Jesus. They had seen the value that Jesus offered them, and so they began following Jesus. And in that process, what happened is that they were beginning to experience some adversity in their life. There were people in their life who weren't very happy that they became followers of Jesus, that they started going to church and reading their Bibles and going to an Eden group and showing up early and serving at the church. They didn't like that. 
And some of you may have had this experience in your life where you were leaving something bad in pursuit of something good, but sometimes in that process, it has to get worse before it gets better. If you've ever left a bad relationship, a toxic person, at first you're really excited about the fact that you have separated yourself from someone who has caused so much pain in your life. You kind of feel the immediate relief of that, but then when the first Friday night comes around, you're sitting at home by yourself eating popcorn and you're feeling lonely and you're wondering if you made the right decision. Because sometimes a good decision has to get worse before it gets better. Maybe some of you have tried to organize your house because it's kind of cluttered and a mess, but you know that when you're organizing your house, it has to get a little bit messier before it gets organized, right? Well, that's kind of what these people were going through. They made a really hard decision to begin pursuing Jesus, and they're experiencing some adversity in their life. And so the author of Hebrews is writing to them to encourage them, don't lose faith. The decision that you made to follow Jesus was the right one, even if right now you cannot see the value in it. Just keep the faith because it'll be worth it in the end. And so all the way up to chapter 11, he's talking about faith. Have faith, trust, believe in Jesus. It's the right decision. And then in chapter 11, he basically says, look at all these people throughout the history of your culture that have demonstrated faith, that are going, exact, going through exactly what you're going through right now, and they were able to come out on the other side of it. And he's saying the reason why they were able to do that was because they were grounded in faith. Their experience was grounded in faith. And so as he begins chapter 11, he begins by answering the question, what is faith? And then he says, I'm going to elevate our value of faith, and then I'm going to share with you an experience of faith. And so we're going to follow sort of that logical argument. So we're going to answer the question in Hebrews verse 1, what is faith? And this is what he says. He says, faith shows the reality of what is hoped for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. That's really helpful. But I want to read to you a few more translations of the same verse to help give us a little bit more perspective. ESV says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The NIV says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is maybe my favorite uh, translation of this particular verse in the message. It says, The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we cannot see. So faith to a believer is having confidence in something that has yet to materialize itself in reality. It is the ability to have confidence in something that you cannot see. And so in other words, faith equals trust. Faith equals trust, but it is a certain type of trust. We're not talking about positivity. We are not talking about optimism. Sometimes I can be one of the most optimistic persons in the world to a fault where my optimism shuts out reality, shuts out the truth of reality. I think anything is possible and it can be harmful. So we're not talking about optimism and we're not even talking about blind faith. We are talking about having confident, having a confident conviction that something that does not exist will exist. Being confident that, that even if we cannot see it, we are convinced that it will be true. But you say, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between blind faith and having confidence 
of conviction and what you can't see. It just sounds like semantics. But this is the difference. You know that faith is only as strong as the object of our trust. Our faith is only as strong as the object of your trust. Sometimes we have faith for the sake of faith, but we have no confidence in the object. There is no object to our faith. And you know this all the time. You have certain friends in your life who when they say they're going to do something, you don't even have to ask them again. You know that they're going to do it. If they tell you that they're going somewhere two years from now, you can be confident that they have already mapped out a plan and how they're going to do that. They're just going to do it. You can trust that person. But then there are other people in your life that tell you they're going to do stuff all the time and they never follow through on what they're going to do. You cannot have faith in those people. or You're not going to have good faith or strong faith. My wife cannot trust that when I go to the grocery store, I'm going to come back with everything on the list. She, can't, she has no faith in that. She can write it out. She can tell me what aisle it's going to be on. But there's just something that happens in the process where Satan attacks my memory. <laughs> and it happens every time. I don't know why. But you know like I know that what you place your faith in oftentimes determines the wisdom of your faith. And so we can trust with confidence based on past performance. I was listening to a leadership guru talk about the hiring process. And he says, if you want to make good hires, what you do, if you want, to, you, you want the strongest predictor of future performance, you have to look at past performance. He says, you will know with somewhat, some level of confidence what someone is going to do in your organization based on what they've done in the past in other organizations. And the same is true for us. This is how we can have confidence in God. This is how we can have this confidence that what God says is going to happen is going to happen, not because we know the future, but because we know what God has done in the past, that God's track record has been perfect, that God has always been faithful in every season in our life, and not just in our lives, but we have seen his track record throughout history. And so this is what the author's talking about. This is what it means to have faith, not blind faith, not optimism but recognizing that God has been faithful for generations and because of his faithfulness in the past, we can be confident of what he's going to do in the future. And he goes on in Hebrews chapter 2. He begins to elevate this value of faith. He says, Because of the faith of our spiritual ancestors, we see that they are left with a good reputation. Their reputation, their lives were remembered because of their faith. And so the author says that in our community, faith is sort of this status symbol, right? It's this status symbol that we sort of define our greatness by. And every culture has status symbols, right? If you were to go to Orange County, you know what the status symbol is there? What kind of car do you drive? You drive a BMW, a Mercedes, a Tesla. That's sort of the status symbol of choice in Orange County. You come up here to the Bay Area, maybe it's being a part of a startup company or a startup organization, or maybe you were investing in a company before they went public or something, right? There are these status symbols. When I was living in South Africa, it was all about how many cows you owned or how many cows you could afford. That was your status symbol. Every culture has a status symbol. And in this community, the author is saying that the status symbol of our community is your faith. And he's not just talking about any type of faith. He's not talking about a trophy faith, right? A trophy faith is the type of faith that you have that you only bring out when other people are around. 
and it looks really nice. It looks really clean. And you put up on the mantle so that everyone can see when they walk into the house. But the problem with this type of faith is that it's pretty cheap, right? It's usually made out of plastic. And if you were going to use it for anything real, it probably couldn't withstand the weight of reality. But then you have faith as a tool. And if you've ever carried a tool, it's usually heavy, made out of metal. It's usually not meant to look pretty. It's meant to look tough so that it'll last. This is the type of faith that he's talking about. This is functional faith. Faith that actually works in everyday life. And all of these people that he's referring to are people who have demonstrated great faith in the midst of conflict in their life. Faith in the midst of adversity. And I love the way that he talks about it. Because it's real faith. It's not faith that you just talk about. It's faith that you live out. He's talking about people who have had confidence in God without clarity about their future. Confidence in the face of adversity and ridicule and the potential loss of things that are important in their life. And this is what I think. I think that when we get to the end of our lives, we are going to be so grateful for the moments in our life that we look back on where we demonstrated faith. We're going to be so thankful for those moments that we chose not to worry or be filled with anxiety about things that we couldn't control. And then I think the opposite is probably also true. We're going to look back at those moments in our lives where we were worried and anxious and fearful and we let fear dictate our decisions and we realized that those decisions were bad decisions and maybe we missed out on opportunities that we thought we could have had because we were overwhelmed with fear. And we're going to ask ourselves, why were we so worried about those things? Because in retrospect, we're going to see that God probably had his hand in our lives the whole time. I remember when I was in grad school, I grew up, I was real, real nervous. And part of the reason why I was real nervous is I was, we had just been married for a few years, my wife and I, Kayla, we were, had moved to Texas to go to grad school. And I didn't grow up poor, but money was never something that like we had a lot of. And so I think that that psychologically did something in my brain where I lived from a scarcity mentality, where I always felt like I never had enough. I was always fearful about money and not being able to provide. And so I remember about a semester after I went into grad school, I started looking for jobs two and a half years before I was going to graduate. And so I would stay up at night and I would email pastors and I would look at job boards and I would email as many people as possible. And in some ways, that's not a bad thing, right? Like I was being responsible. I was trying to prepare for the future. But the problem is that it was over, I was overcome by fear. I was full of anxiety the whole time. And, and it just was this horrible mental process that I was going through for about a year and a half. And then something crazy happened. About six months before I was about to graduate from grad school, I got a call from a pastor in a city that I had lived in in a church that I had gone to, and he says, hey, we have an opportunity available for you. We would love for you to consider being a part of it. And so I looked into it. It was my dream job. I could have never imagined having a better opportunity. And then I thought back at all those nights and hours and moments where I just worried. I was afraid. I was frantic. And all along, God had already worked out my path before me. And sometimes that is how we live our lives. 
Like every little twinge in our plan, every little diversion or pivot that we didn't have planned, we get scared and worried and we let it take over our hearts when all along what God wants us to do is just to have faith and to trust that what he has for us is going to be better than what we can produce on our own. And so that is what these people were being admired for because in the face of adversity, they weren't overcome with fear They chose to live in faith. And then he gives us an example in verse 3. It says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And so what it's saying is that at some point, God spoke the universe into existence. And it was in one moment that all of what we see now came out of nothing, ex nihilo, and in one moment it was spoken into existence. And for a long time, this is what people who uh, trusted in God believed, that God spoke the world into existence. And for a long time, they were ridiculed and mocked for this belief. They thought, "Look look at this entire universe. You're telling us that in one moment, at God's command, it was spoken into existence and Believers say, well, yeah, we don't have a lot of evidence, but this is what we see Scripture teaching. And so, yes, we believe it. We don't exactly know how it all came to be, but we believe that that's the case. And if you were to fast forward to today and you were to ask any credible scientist what they think about this statement, that the universe came into existence at one point, they would say, I agree. Now, maybe they don't think that God was the motivator behind it, like we do, like people of faith do, but they believe That at one point in human history, the universe came into existence. And this is called the Big Bang Theory. But the Bible said it was true before we ever had evidence to prove the case. And so this is what we believe. And so he's using this as an example. We can have faith in God's promises even when we cannot see them. And so the question is, how do we have faith? How do we build our faith? I think... That it is best for us to look at faith as if it were a muscle. And the more you work out that muscle, the bigger it gets. And the less, that you, the less you work at the muscle, the smaller it gets. And so we develop faith and we develop those faith muscles by trusting in God. And so this is what it looks like. It's very simple. When we are come, here, come here together on a Sunday morning and we're talking about how to have healthy relationships and maybe part of having a healthy relationship is not to gossip about people in your life. And even though you know, like I know, doesn't it feel so good to gossip about people? Right? And, and this is what happens in faith circles. We're really sneaky about it. We won't just like go up to someone and gossip, but we'll do it during prayer time. And we'll say, guys, can you pray for Lisa? She's... Uh, She's really been lazy lately, and I just want to lift her up in prayer. Right? That's how we gossip. And as good as it feels, that is a faith-building opportunity. When you know that God says his way of doing things is not your way, and you trust God's way over your way, you have an opportunity to see whether or not doing it God's way actually adds value to your life. And there are all these counterintuitive statements all throughout Scripture where God is saying, the world says it to do this way, your culture at work says it to do this way, the people in your life say doing doing it this way, but I'm telling you that there's actually a better way. And so that is a faith-building opportunity when you say, I'm going to trust the way that God tells me to live my life above anyone else, and I'm going to see whether or not that adds value. That's how we build faith, is through obedience. And really, you cannot build faith any other way. 
Because faith doesn't come by knowledge. It doesn't come through information. Faith is built through obedience and experience. The second way that you build faith is by trusting in God's Spirit. And what I mean by that is when you become a believer and you trust in Jesus, He fills you with His Spirit. And there will be times in your life where maybe you don't see it in Scripture, but you sense that God is leading you to do something. And in that moment, you have an opportunity to trust whether or not you are going to obey God's leading in your life. I remember maybe the first most clear example for that of that in my life was when I was in college and I was really beginning to lead in faith. And I remember I was sitting in church. It was a Wednesday night Bible study. And the pastor was talking about a man who uh, they called an evangelist. And that means that he would share the good news and the love of Jesus everywhere he went. And so uh, this man, he was telling the story of this man and how he impacted people's lives in such a powerful way. For whatever reason, that message like really resonated with my heart. And I had this strong impression that God was telling me that he wanted me to tell someone of his love. And I thought, this is so weird. I don't do this thing. I don't, what am, what am I supposed to do with this feeling that I have in my heart? And I literally just did not know what to do. And so after the message, I went in my car and I drove around town and I said, God, if there's anyone that you want me to tell about your love, will you make that clear? Because this is all crazy to me and it doesn't make sense and I really don't feel like doing this. I'd rather go home and eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> and so I literally drove around town for about 10 to 15 minutes and as I was driving, I saw a lady sitting on a bus stop, and I thought, oh my gosh, am I supposed to go talk to her? And you have to understand that as crazy as this sounds to you, it, it sounds, I was the one who did it, okay? This was my reputation on the line. And so I pull up to the nearest parking spot, I get out of the car, and I say, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm talking to you, but I felt like I was supposed to tell you that God loves you. And she looks at me, and I said, can I pray for you about anything? And she looks at me, and she says, I would love for you to pray for me. And so she shares with me some issues that she's going through in her life. I pray for her, and then I say, ma'am, I don't know if, if you have a relationship with God, but he loves you. And I shared with her the good news of Jesus. And in that moment, with tears in her eyes, she received Christ into her life. And so this is the deal. I, I, I don't do that a lot, and I don't know if I've, I mean, I don't do that. I've done it a long time. But there are some moments in your life where you sense that God is leading you to make a decision and in that moment, he's giving you the opportunity to begin developing a pattern in your life where you are going to say yes or no to following Jesus' path. And in those moments, why God loves them so much is because he uses those to build your faith. Those are just the little building blocks of what God wants to do for you in the future. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith brings God close. Faith bring God, brings God close. Yesterday I was outside with my boys. We heard a plane flying by. My youngest son, Grayson, goes, look, Daddy, a plane. Cohen looks up and he says, that is a plane. He goes, but Daddy, why is the plane so small? I said, the plane's so small because it's so far away. If it were closer, it would be bigger. What faith does in our life is it brings God close. And what a lot of our faith has looked like throughout the course of our life is that, yeah, we say we believe in God. We say we're spiritual. 
We say we have our own relationship with God, but the reality is that we have basically kept God on the fringe of our life. And when you keep God on the fringe of your life and you never lean into the faith that you say you have, God will always look a lot smaller than he really is because you've kept him at a distance. But what faith does is it positions you to say, God, I don't have an answer to what I'm about to do, but I believe you're calling me to do it. And it gives God an opportunity to showcase what he's really capable of doing in your life. And that is why God wants you to have faith. Because it will prepare you for those moments when you go through some of the difficult times in your life. It will have prepared a tendency in your heart to choose faith instead of fear. You will have more confidence because you have seen God show up in your life so many times before that when you're about to cross another bridge, you are confident that you may not know how it's going to turn out. You may not know the details of what the future is going to look like, but you are confident that God is with you along the way. I love what someone said. He said, I do not know what the future holds, but I know he who holds the future. And that is what our faith is in. It is not in our circumstance, our confidence, our confident conviction about what life will look like in the future is based on who on the object of our faith and it all begins with that personal relationship with Jesus it all begins at that moment where we say we want to trust in God for the very first time to trust in the audacious promise of God that our debt has been paid with someone else's blood it wasn't out of obligation, but it, it was because we have a God who loves us so much that he would send his perfect, beautiful, innocent son to this world to be tortured on a cross for our sins. Because our debt had to be paid. But God knew that if we paid the debt ourselves, we could not carry the weight of it we would be crushed. So he sent his son who he knew could bear the weight of our sins, who could overcome death and create a pathway for the rest of us. This is evidence of his love. And if there is anyone who has walked into the room this morning that has ever questioned whether or not God still loves them, I want you to know that he is telling you through me that he loves you so much, more than you could ever understand. Sometimes, on the rare occasion, I say that, no, my son tells me he loves me all the time. But sometimes he really wants to express his love for me. And it's so cute. This is what he does. He says, Daddy, do you know how much I love you? And I know he's setting me up for something good. And he hasn't let me down yet, although he has threatened to run away recently. So <laughs> we're working on that. But he says, Daddy, do you know how much I love you? And I said, no, how much? He goes, I love you this much. And he stretches out his arms as far as he can. And he stretches out that word as long as his little lungs will let breath come out. And he says, I love you this much. And I love that because what he's saying is that I love you more than what I can express. And I feel like that is what I'm doing every single Sunday. is trying to communicate to you that God loves you this much this much, but every week I feel like it's inadequate because I can't fully co communicate the depth 
and the width and the vastness of God's love for you. And that's why every week we talk about this idea of faith. Because there's a point that my words can take you. Anyone's words can take you. But there's always that gap in between the words and the experience. But God's love is right on the other side of faith. But it requires that step of faith that each of us have to take. And what's interesting, it's not just that first step of faith, but it's continuing to develop a pattern in your life where you are going to take steps of faith at every season because you know that God provides those opportunities for you at every season. And what happens is that at the beginning of your faith journey, it's really exciting. You're showing up to church. You start reading your Bible. You're hanging around with some positive people. You learned a few Christian songs on the radio, and you're feeling good about life because you are being exposed to stuff you've never heard of before. And it's exciting, and you've been willing to take all these faith risks to show up to church and to get connected. But what happens over time is that you stop taking those risks, and your faith begins to plateau. And what was exciting before isn't very exciting anymore. If you were to see me in the gym, you would be looking at the most unmotivated person in the entire world. I literally sloppily go from one exercise to the next because my goal right now at the gym is to create some consistency. I'm trying to develop a habit. I don't care if I get bigger. But I'll tell you this, it is boring. It's boring because I have not added weight to my bar in a very long time. It's boring. And that's what our faith looks like when we stop putting on the weight because as soon as you stop saying yes to Jesus, your faith will begin to plateau. And so we're in a season in the life of our church where we really believe that God has some big stuff for us and we are encouraging you to consider what that would look like for you. What would it look like for you in this season to take a step of faith and to say, I'm going to dig into what God may have for me in this community. And for some of you, that may mean you're going to take a step of faith for the very first time and you're going to trust to follow Jesus. For others of you, it's going to be, hey, I'm willing to be a volunteer. I'm going to be willing to take on some ownership in this community because I know that what's happening here, God is using to change lives, and I want to be a part of changing lives. For others of you, it may be taking on leadership. And for some of you, honestly, right now, your big faith step is showing up to church, and that's huge. And we don't want to diminish or devalue that because that is a huge, huge step for some of you, and we celebrate that. But we know that in faith, Forward momentum, forward direction is what God wants for us. Because until we lean into faith, we will never really know how much God loves us and cares for us. So today, I want to give you an opportunity to receive the promise that Jesus has for you. I want to give you an opportunity to leap from the words to the experience in faith. So I'm going to ask everyone to go ahead and close their eyes and bow their heads. And if right now you are that person who is wanting to take that step of faith in your life and you've never done it before, I want you to pray these words after me in your heart. And there's nothing special about these words, but it really is just an expression of your heart. That today you want to begin a relationship with Jesus. And so go ahead and, and repeat after me in your hearts if you'd like to begin a relationship with God. God, I know that I've been distant from you because I've pursued other things. 
And today I recognize my shortcomings and I know that I need you to fill in the gap. I want to leave my past behind me and I want to follow you. I want you to direct my steps. I want you to come into my life and to restore my heart. Today, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, I believe. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you simply raise your hand quickly? It doesn't have to be long. God bless you. 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 We just want to celebrate what God is doing in this space this morning. Because for so many of us, this is going to be a turning point in our life. Maybe it's not for faith, but maybe today is the day that you give up that addiction that has been over your life for so many years. Maybe you have given up and you are willing to drown out the noise and those voices that are telling you lies above the truth that God declares over who you are. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this morning and for this opportunity. I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of our people and our leaders and our team. God, you are doing an amazing work in this place. And we are confident, God, that this is really just the beginning. This is the tip of the iceberg of how you want to use this community to impact our neighborhood and our city and the Silicon Valley and the entire Bay Area. God, we want to continue to live and lean in faith, believing that you are not done with this place. God, I pray for every life here. I pray that if they're wrestling through a difficult season, Lord, that you would give them faith instead of fear that you would show them how to trust you in that moment of decision, that they would have confidence that your way is better than their way, and that you would give them the courage to try, to try to have faith. It's never easy. It's always nerve-wracking. But God, the promise is, is that in those moments, you will reveal yourself to us like we have never seen you before. God, I pray that that would be true of every single one of that you would develop the discipline in our lives to be quick to say yes to following Jesus wherever you lead us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.